listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. We're your hosts today. I'm Jessica. And I'm Caroline. And today we're diving into a conversation about industry-defined student competencies at Del Lago Academy in Escondido, just north of San Diego. Alec Barron developed a program called Competency X at Del Lago. It provides the opportunity for students to develop a digital science portfolio to track and reflect evidence of their competency with science and engineering practices. The students earn badges that are validated by industry experts like Brett Goldsmith from the Nanomedical Diagnostics, who joins Alec on this podcast. Okay, let's pause there for just a second. I kind of wish I could go back to high school because how cool would it be to be able to participate in a science class with those tools? I mean, I have visceral memories of file folders filled with papers and hypothesis, experiments and lab notes, and then there was the dreaded good old college rule spiral notebook. I dreaded writing all of those notes and then having to rework all of that in at the end to submit my work. Yeah, it definitely felt like it was just a lot of note taking and not as much project-based learning. No kidding. Plus, our listeners probably know we're confident that digital badges and portfolios will becoming increasingly important as learners find ways to show what they know. And thanks to tools like CompetencyX, LRNG, and other badging platforms, students are able to build rich digital portfolios that support college applications and their career aspirations. So before we dive into the podcast, here's a little background on Alec. He's a science coach in Escondido Union High School District, and over the last 14 years has taught a variety of science subjects for grades 6 through 12. Alec has a doctorate in leadership for educational equity from the University of Colorado. Brett Goldsmith is the co-founder and CTO of a company building biosensors that speed medical research and diagnostics. He's just one of the many Del Lago business partners that help define what STEM graduates should know and be able to do. Okay, that's enough from us. Let's dive into the podcast. Um, Alec Barron and Brett Goldsmith, welcome to the Getting Smart podcast. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, you guys are both have a science background. Uh, Alec, how did you come to study chemistry in college? Uh, well, for me, it was something that I loved working with with my hands. I started off as an engineering major and learned quickly that that involved a lot of work on computers. And I loved the immediate feedback that I got from failing at the bench. So all the repeated failures and immediate feedback, but also being able to constantly uh, get feedback and progress uh, with mentorship at the bench was really helpful for me selecting that as a major. So you actually like chemistry lab? Yeah, I did. I liked things accidentally catching on fire, I suppose. <laughs> I, I don't think I ever got better than a C uh, in my chem labs in college. Uh, Brett, you'd studied physics in college. Yeah, that's right. Um, I started off as a math major, similar, similar to Alec. I, I switched once I saw what things were really like. And um, I discovered that I, I liked um, tinkering. I liked working with my hands uh, more than the theory. And so uh, uh, physics was, was kind of the place to be. And um, I, I just loved all the, the different physics labs and, uh, you know, running experiments. Alec, your doctoral focus at CU moved into uh, critical civic inquiry which has this, um, there's a beautiful quote about it, the premise that students from historically marginalized groups will most likely uh, engage in school when they see academic work as relevant to their everyday lives, when they're invited to participate with adults in making their school better. So how did you go from hard sciences to student-centered learning? 
Uh, for me, it was uh, when I was an undergrad at UCSD, um, I actually got a job as an avid tutor. And one of the really cool things that I got experience with is the nerdy delight, as I like to call it, which was when you have something that's really challenging and then you overcome it and there's this delight that comes from it. <laughs> for me, it was building those relationships with students in tutorial groups and the social and cultural factors that influence um, the identity of those learners and how they progress. So it actually goes all the way back, but I didn't have any of the language to describe that back then. Um, and then a progression to, I worked as um, for a science summer camp um, as part of the Howard Hughes undergraduate science enrichment program, where we took uh, kids from inner San Diego and we gave them a bunch of informal based chemistry learning experiences where they got to play at the bench, explore and discover. And they got recognition for that learning um, through high school credit. Um, it was that which led me to apply to a teaching program at UCSD as well. And then I worked, uh, my first teaching position was at the Price School, um, which had a real strong focus on coherent aligned expectations for success in the UC system. Um, that, that those, te those teaching years and experience working with uh, students at that school, plus my work when I moved out to Colorado um, in Aurora Public Schools, uh, was really impactful for me in seeing the power of student voice and how student voice impacts the, the learning process. So that uh, critical civic inquiry work was all about empowering students as participants in their own education and then helping them uh, discover how they can be civic actors and improving the systems in which they participate. And all of that happens through teachers sharing power and voice um, through a inquiry-based research project, which for me was the social science equivalent of a lot of the inquiry work that I did as an undergrad. Um, and it's all that work that really informed a lot of uh, my thinking about assessment and how we learn. I want to ask you both a question about the nature of science. And I, I, I tend to think that the world is headed towards competency as, as show what you know and progress on mastery uh, as a core design principle for learning. But uh, MIT professor Steven Pinker said that math is ruthlessly cumulative. We tend to think of math as, as a bit more of a linear progression or set of linear progressions uh, that, that does, as uh, Saul Kahn uh, frequently talks about it, as, as being important to have a competency-based progression. Science, on the other hand, seems less linear. It seems like a, a broad body of content with a broad set of discovery skills. Do, do both of you really think of it as, as a field that lends itself towards competency-based progressions? So uh, for me, I can talk about it from an educator perspective and how we're going through the shift right now with our instructional practices as supported by our new science standards, the next generation science standards, on science learning not just be fo being focused on the core ideas or the knowledge that's built within learning experiences and courses, but instead to have an intentional focus on um, the skills and knowledge needed for conducting inquiry, to be able to answer and ask and answer questions about natural phenomena. So for us, um, and this is actually what our project was originally aimed to target, which is how do we um, recognize the development of those skills for inquiry, which we call science and engineering practices because it's really an integration of knowledge and skill. So how do we map out what success looks like for science and engineering practices and mentor and coach students 
through those practices as they learn from failure in the laboratory setting so that they can uh, actually succeed through um, not, not defining success as one instance, but having multiple opportunities for success in the laboratory. Um, I'll turn it over to Brett because I think he can share his perspective um, as a scientist on this. Yeah, I think, um, you know, discovery and invention are often nonlinear processes. Um, and, you know, uh, inspiration can strike. But uh, from a professional scientist point of view, you know, at the high levels, we often talk about who we trained other, under rather than, you know, what we studied as, as our kind of driving, um, you know, definition of self kind of thing. Um, we're used to this idea that you, you learn science in an apprenticeship situation. You're learning the practical tools that uh, put you in a position to make the discovery that puts you in a, a position to understand what you're looking at. And there's a lot of uh, training that goes from early stages, uh, you know, the new high school intern in the lab, all the way through the postdocs working under an experienced PI. Um, there's a lot of different skills that you have to learn to take advantage of the nonlinear opportunities when they come. That's really helpful. As I, I think about my experience as a young engineer, it was, it was clearly my great um, internships and summer jobs that were the most formative and certainly the most memorable of, of any part of my engineering background. So I think the way that two of you are thinking about competency-based progressions and uh, an apprenticeship as a, a integrated whole is, uh, is really important. It's unusual, but it, it's really important. So Alec, how did you get to uh, Del Lago in, in Escondido? Uh, Del Lago opened in uh, 2013. I was one of the founding teachers and was part of the team that helped set up the school. Uh, so that school was built to be a choice for parents and students in the community of Escondido um, as a small campus and an alternative to our other uh, comprehensive high schools and a deep focus on school and career, learning about work, uh, learning through work and learning for work um, with a huge emphasis on internships in the 11th and 12th grade years. Um, and we developed a focus at that school that was based on input from students, family members, the community, but most important projections in the local economy that indicated to us a potential growth in the biotechnology sector um, for uh, positions of work for our students. And that's why we are called Del Lago Academy, the campus of applied science. And we have a biotechnology focus uh, for all four years throughout our science program. Brett, you went from doing um, crazy classified stuff for the Navy to starting a, a nanotech company. How did that happen? Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting question. So um, I did I did work for the Navy in civil service and um, the Navy has a uh, uh, a lot of um, education that they give to their their scientists on technology development and uh, how to move technology from basic research to um, practical use and how to recognize that in the, the scientists and the contractors that work with uh, the Department of Defense. And it turns out that um, simply being a good scientist or a good engineer is insufficient to take a technology from basic research to product. It requires also business and commercialization. And in the process of learning um, how to how this process worked uh, from the DOD point of view and how to recognize the technology, I was also able to see a giant hole in, in my field, which is nanotechnology. And um, 
so in, instead of uh, sitting there and saying, well, that's too bad, there's, there's no nanotechnology products that the Navy can use, and I'm just going to have to spend my career lamenting that, um, I decided that uh, I would go out to, to Silicon Valley and learn how to start and run a business. How did you make those contacts? And were you, were, you, um, were you in San Diego in the Navy? Yeah, so I, I worked at a lab in San Diego, um, and uh, there were... A part of part of my job was to uh, reach out to people doing basic research in nanotechnology and talk to them about bringing technologies forward. And as a student, so that, yeah, you had a pretty good network then while you were in the Navy. I had an excellent network. I got to see DARPA research. I got to go to a lot of great review meetings. I got to meet a lot of people who were who were trying to make things happen. Um, and. Uh, the the specific company I went to go work for, though, was someone that I'd known even before that I'd met while I was a postdoc, um, who who basically challenged me and said, "If you if you think you can help commercialize work, come work for me, and 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 I'll teach you how to do this." What's the top line on your company? It's called Nanomedical uh, Diagnostics. That's right, Nanomedical Diagnostics. We make graphene biosensors. Um, it's a commercially manufactured. Uh, graphing electronic tool and it's it's the first such tool uh, in the world and um, the things that we're most proud of are not the technical wizardry of it but that we can actually make thousands of these things a month uh, with a team of non-phd scientists doing the uh, fabrication that for us that's the key that is exciting when when you think about building a team um what do you look for? How do you hire talent and are current market signaling mechanisms like transcripts? Do those work for you? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, usually I don't look for transcripts. When I'm hiring on staff, uh, we do a lot of face-to-face interviewing. Personality matters uh, tremendously in ability to interact with the team um, and work cross-disciplinary. But I also look very closely at what work have people done before. And my expectation is that no matter how junior the person is, that they have some example of a hobby or a project or work that they can show me um, that demonstrates the kind of things that they like doing, the kind of things that they're good at doing. Um, And I, I try and see how that lines up with our needs. Interesting. So like alternative forms of evidence. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, in, in particular, one of the things that um, stands out to me is uh, there was a, a high school student that we brought on as, a, as an intern. And um, the way that I interviewed him is uh, I had him bring software that he'd written in uh, C Sharp, which was the language we needed uh, to write software in, to the interview. And uh, we sat down. I looked over his software. I showed him our source code. And we had a conversation about programming. And I don't know that I spent more than 15 seconds looking at his resume, um, but I, I was very interested in whether or not he, um, he could explain his programming to me and what he'd done. Um, right. And we ended up hiring him, and he got to work with PhD scientists who developed algorithms, and he got to apply them in C-sharp to our, our software. Alec, the, our subject today is uh, a program you developed called Competency X. Uh, what is that? So it's an assessment approach for science and engineering practices that we uh, co-developed with uh, both industry and college partners. And uh, for us, 
Um, it's the X part that really represents the learner. And I think to, to build off of what Brett talked about, which is that um, X factor in terms of having mentorships or experiences that you can curate evidence from and then use that to, to broaden your access to opportunities like the one that Brett was just describing at his company. Um, so for us, we really wanted our learners to own how they demonstrate competency through workforce-informed performance tasks. So Brett was actually part of original team of uh, industry partners that came together to build digital badges as mile markers to map out, not to find steps and not to compartmentalize science and engineering practices, but essentially as indicators of how to grow your complexity with using practices in real laboratory settings. So what the competency X process looks like for a student is, is that as they do both laboratory work in the classroom and as they do laboratory work in internships, they curate artifacts from those performances that they're doing into um, a digital portfolio. And then once they've captured and reflected on how those artifacts represent competency for those digital badges that are built with industry partners, um, then they get recognized with a digital badge. Those digital badges are designed to be a signal of competency for our biotechnology-based internships so that you know what our learners have actually demonstrated competency on. And you click on that digital badge and you can see those performances. You can see, as Brett was talking about, the source code that they've worked on and actually see, see what they've done in the past. Um, and that's our phase one work with uh, Competency X. And we've been at this for almost two years now. Brett, how did you get involved at Del Lago? Um, well, so Alec and I actually met in college, and um, it's it's always good. Uh, I'm always happy to to help out someone in my network. Uh, we've kept in touch you know, as we've gone kind of different paths in, in science. Um, but uh, in addition to that, I also believe that in science we need to reach down uh, further and younger into the into the you know young people, the emerging workforce, and um, help show them that uh, science is not always what's shown in the media, uh, that there's a lot of different practical roles and a lot of different um, kind of stages of being a professional scientist. And no matter who you are, you can learn something that's going to allow you to participate in a meaningful way in, in, in scientific discovery. And on the subject of uh, badges, Brett, do you, do you see the world of science and engineering moving in this direction towards more authentic forms of evidence? Yeah, I mean, um, the idea that you you need to be able to show, uh, there were a lot of things I got to talk to Alec and, and um, his students and his team about different needs that our company has and the different kind of badge ideas that we have basic ideas of, do you know how to write um, an entry in a lab notebook? Do you know how to pipette? Um, you know, how, how can you show what computer languages you're competent in? Um, being able to show those kind of pieces of evidence uh, in a meaningful way, uh, I think is hugely important and makes my life a lot easier <laughs> trying to evaluate um, people. Alec, when you're thinking about designing uh, badges, how do you think about grain size? So should badges be big chunks or small chunks? Should they be roughly the same level of effort and dur duration? What's your take? 
Um, we actually had, um, and at Del Lago, we call all of our students uh, scholars. It's actually the name that they, they developed for themselves when we formed the school. So you'll hear me use that term, scholars. Um, so we had our scholars participate with us in the evaluation process of our pilot for Competency X. And we were constantly asking them questions like, well, which badge did you have the most fun earning? Which one was more, more challenging and why? And with that, we discovered that we had some badges that were unintentionally large and some badges that were unintentionally small in terms of the granularity. And we actually were comfortable with both of those badges existing within the same ecosystem for our students, because there are some practices that just really require a deep integration of many skills and require performances spread out over a prolonged period of time, whereas others are more discreet and, be, and the skill can be developed uh, relatively quickly, like learning a spreadsheet and how to operate it is much easier to, to learn than, uh, for example, knowing how to do a standard curve with a spectrophotometer. So for us, we, were, we became comfortable with that, but we wanted to intentionally signal to learners what was up front in terms of trying to earn it. And it wasn't so much time as it was describing the experiences that you would have to curate. Um, and that's how a lot of our badges um, evolve. Um, now we're moving to a different class of badges um, that are focused intentionally on college articulation. And those we're standardizing much more. And there's a lot greater consistency in terms of what's required for students to actually earn those because there's currency with the college credit that they could potentially earn. So are these badges... Um, limited to one academy and just a handful of courses today? How widespread are their use? Well, right now they're being used at Del Lago Academy and within science classes throughout Escondido Union High School District. Um, those digital badges, though, um, have certainly gone through a great deal of maturation. And we've learned from how they worked with uh, within Del Lago and then through our internship program. And now what we're doing is we've built uh, with faculty at Miramar College, which is in San Diego Community College District, eight digital badges as informed by the original ones we built that are going to be spread across um, biotechnology courses throughout our entire county. And those badges are designed to be a competency-based approach for college articulation. So instead of one single assessment equaling the college uh, credit, um, you would have um, multiple performance-based assessments as recognized by the digital badges uh, that will be uh, used uh, to, to earn the college credit. Um, and we're partnered with uh, the Center for Collaborative Education on building out those performance-based assessments. We've designed them, and they're being field-tested this spring at Del Lago. Did this work in other subjects in English and math? Um, my favorite is culinary. Um, actually, next week, I'm working with uh, culinary teachers at one of our awesome schools, Orange Glen. And uh, what they're doing is they're building a digital badge um, for knife skill sets. Um, chopping matters uh, in the field of uh, the culinary arts. So uh, that one, really, it's our CTE programs that are, are rich in Escondido that really can use these digital badges um, to recognize performances that are required for success in those fields. Um, but many of the badges that we built for the science and engineering practices certainly can translate to our other disciplines, especially because we group them into experimenting like a scientist, analyzing like a scientist, and communicating like a scientist. We see them being used in our humanities classes 
um, at Delago Academy for social science research purposes. You recently won a grant from the Assessment for Learning uh, Project, where I'm uh, one of the national advisors. How has that helped advance the work at Delago? At Delago. Um, Really what we needed is time to sit down with our industry and college partners to really define what success looks like and to broaden that definition of success from how we traditionally narrowly assess it within classrooms. So for us, the powerful thing was that we got sustained time and connections and built relationships within industry um, that were already given a head start by obviously our internship program and the relationships we had uh, with uh, researchers within our local science community. Um, so really it was that. And then additionally, the thought leadership that we could provide um, technology platform providers with portfolio assessment and digital badge based uh, software. That was that was really important and it contributed to that. Um, but the greatest thing that we got from the Assessment for Learning Project is the network of grantees. Um, I mentioned uh, CCE, the Center for Collaborative Education. And what we've done is we've adapted um, many of the tools that they have for validation and calibration with performance-based assessment for digital badges. Um, and that work has been really exciting. Um, we've really worked with uh, Fairfax County Public Schools on student-led assessment, and we've learned about their work. And that's impacted how we do internships uh, with uh, co-designed digital badges to, to encourage a deeper dive into skill development within those internships. So I would say it's the network that really has benefited us the most um, and connecting with all the different individuals and their innovations throughout the country. Uh, Brett, um, so... Say a little bit more about how internships are involved in Competency X. Yeah, so I mean, from from our point of view, we have a, we have a very um, I would say developed internship program uh, at our at our company, and it, it dovetails well with our involvement with Competency X. Um, we believe strongly in using interns uh, to evaluate new uh, new areas that we want to grow in, and in trying to evaluate people and trying to kind of onboard new people. Uh, so we spend a lot of time um, planning out internships. We spend a lot of time evaluating what are the skills we want people to have when they come in as an intern? What are the skills we want people to have when they finish their internship with us? Um, and so the kind of badging system that you see with Competency, competency X um, transitions over into the workplace where it's, we want to bring an intern in. We want them to, um, to already know how to do a certain type of writing or a certain type of, uh, analysis or, or use a certain tool. And when they're done, we want them to be able to also do these other things, uh, with the same sort of, uh, uh, evidence-based, um, you know, uh, mechanic. Brett, for both you and for, uh, a scholar, what, what would a good internship experience be? Um, so I mentioned the, the software intern. That was certainly a good internship uh, for us uh, and for our, 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 uh, our intern. But um, there's, there's another example I can give, which is uh, one of our first biology interns. Um, and she was a college student at the time. Uh, she came in. She, she was very organized, uh, and she was very good at us. Uh, small set of basic lab school skills that we needed. Uh, we trained her on our hardware at the time, which was in a developmental stage. And uh, essentially, uh, my thought as a, as a hardware designer uh, for biotech was I need to get this intern 
uh, able to use my hardware, to use my software. And if she can't use it, there's something wrong with my design. And so by working with her on what, what was hard, what was easy, we were able to um, kind of do some alpha development of, of, our, uh, of our product internally using an intern as a, as a you know, test case user. And uh, at the end of her internship, uh, we hired her on as a, as a research assistant. And uh, she continues and, and now has continues to grow responsibility within the company. And that, that was successful, I think, for, for both of us. It sounds like these are really meaningful roles. These aren't just mailroom uh, sort of roles, right? No, that's absolutely right. I mean, there's not um, – I, I don't think that that's uh, our purpose for bringing interns in. You know, we want to get something from the intern. Sometimes we want that inexperience, the rawness of uh, having, having – not been part of a company before to see if uh, our theories about how our hardware should work with a new user work in that biology example. Sometimes we want to see um, just, you know, if, if a little bit of help in a particular area is going to be able to push us forward. And I really like that you called it the mailroom phenomenon yeah. or that's what, that's what I like to think of it because we see that um, through the internships um, and it's not very satisfying on the part of both uh, the student and then also the mentor. So for us, what we experimented with uh, last spring was asking our scholars when they go off to their internships to sit down with their mentor and say, all right, what am I going to do? What's the project? But not just what is the project and what work am I going to do? How am I going to be successful with this project? What skills do I need to demonstrate to be successful? And that process involved our scholars co-designing a digital badge with their mentor. And our idea was that it would force a more intentional focus in the internship on skill development. And that would change the nature of the internship, Shift for, shifting from, of course, the mailroom to uh, <laughs> the laboratory space. Uh, and that actually had a huge benefit for a couple of our internships. It was, it was dramatic. We had one intern that was going to be filing papers, but then got moved into the operating room based on that conversation and then learned how to check animal vitals during a surgery uh, at a veterinary clinic, which was amazing. Um, and it's those, those types of experiences that our learners had in addition to when they actually described what it takes to be successful that we had some of our mentors give us feedback saying, oh my goodness, I didn't realize all the things that were like needed to pull off something successfully, like ambulating a patient as a nurse. Um, and then those co-designed digital batches act as a signal within those internships uh, for prospective employees, uh, also prospective interns so that they know the nature of the work, but also can act as, in a sense, a little bit of a training manual um, if you come on board uh, for that particular type of position. For both of you, do you think you are experimenting with the new building blocks for secondary education? Could we see more subjects being taught in this way, this combination of, of authentic learning experiences and badges that assess and capture and communicate learning? So for me, the thing that we see a lot of power behind is how much thirst there is on the part of um, educators to really empower learners to make selections about how they've demonstrated uh, competency in their work, um, particularly with really rich performance tasks. Uh, so for us, the, the huge bang for our buck is that um, <laughs> there's currency behind the curation of these, these artifacts that act as evidence to broaden opportunities uh, for youth outside of uh, their secondary learning. 
um, whether that be accessing internships, um, but also accessing employment, uh, which we're working with Biocom on in our project. Uh, so for Biocom, um, we're building a, a connection between um, paid internships and then uh, using that digital power, uh, portfolio in a powerful way with digital badges so that uh, entry-level employees can be identified based on really important uh, sets of competencies required for those fields. So I, I think that's going to change. It, you, you're going to see more dynamic um, but also coherent expectations from industry settings um, actually uh, translate into assessment practices by teachers because of this process. And for me, I think that's one shift that we're going to see as we move in this direction towards more competency-based education. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, it's similar for me, uh, right? There's, a, there's an odd connection that both Alec and I got into our career paths in science um, because we were excited about the practical aspects of lab work and that immediate response of hands-on work. And you see the same sort of excitement from people who participate in hackathons and things like that. And um, there's definitely a view in professional science that the, um, the hands-on work that someone does, the practical work that they do, uh, is, is really you know, the best indicator of what they're going to do on the job and, uh, and what, you know, what they can do when given the chance. And so, uh, you know, philosophically we're, we're very much in alignment that this kind of, uh, metric is, is helpful for, for the future. And to add on that, talking about the apprenticeship model that most scientists follow, um, what's really important in these assessment practices is not just the what in terms of what you need to be good at to be successful, but also the who in there. Um, you really have to have the learner represented in there and the mentor represented in there. And the validation from a mentor is incredibly powerful for saying that, yeah, I can do that task. And I think that's where um, our, our, our project and our approach um, is going to move forward. We're going to see more of that in competency-based education. That's exciting. Alec, what's on your uh, roadmap for Competency X? So uh, right now, as I mentioned, we're built, we've designed and we're filled, field testing eight digital badges uh, for college articulation purposes. Uh, and we did that work with uh, Miramar College. And we're really excited about that work because what it can do is, is learning is, is, should not be compartmentalized into very specific courses that can span across courses. So how can we look at um, what's required for success in a college articulation um, and then break them down into individual performance assessments that can be spread across courses and not just tied to a single course? Um, then there's also our work with Biocom, which is really exciting um, because for us, recognizing the type of learning around communication, uh, teamwork, um, integrity, those types of dispositions or uh, non-cognitive skills, depending on what framework you're using, uh, we call them workplace and personal effectiveness competencies. Uh, we're going to be recognizing those from both informal learning um, and contexts, but also uh, internships. And then how do you leverage the learning that happens in an internship at nanomedical diagnostics for that next position to say, yeah, I can do these things and I can be successful. It's, uh, it's exciting work to see this intersection between uh, competency and this apprentice-based uh, model, active uh, learning and science. So we, we appreciate the work you guys are doing and the partnership that you have. Um, Alec and Brent, thanks for being on the Getting Smart podcast. 
All right. Well, thank you for having yeah, us. Thanks for, thanks for the chat. A big thanks to Alec and Brett for joining us today and for the work that they're doing to advance the future of learning and opportunity for youth. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to check out the Getting Smart podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and hit subscribe. We'd love it if you rated us as well. It helps us get better and helps your friends find us. And to stay up to date and feed your brain with daily content around the future of learning, check out gettingsmart.com. You'll find a blog for today's podcast as well as a ton of other resources. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Caroline and Jessica signing off.